We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. What's up, y'all? It's Drewski, and I've teamed up with Mountain Dew to produce a hilarious new basketball podcast called The Dew Zone with Drewski. Learn the backstories of your favorite ballers and celebrities like Jamal Murray. Did you have, like, a favorite team? Was it the Raptors at the time or no? Was the Raptors even started around that time? Come on, bro. I ain't that old, fam. <laughs> You're talking like I'm 50. Taylor Rooks, Asia Wilson, and many more. You won't want to miss this. Listen to The Do Zone with Drewski on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever you listen to podcasts. This is the Dane Moore NBA podcast brought to you by Blue Wire Podcasts and early on a Friday morning, a day removed from back-to-back losses against Andrew Wiggins and the Golden State Warriors, Britt Robson of The Athletic joins me. Uh, Britt, was uh, was Andrew Wiggins going off for an efficient 42 points over two games, everything you thought it would be? Yes. Actually, it was. Uh, it was everything I thought it would be, which was less than a lot of people want to pretend it is. Um, what do you mean by that? I mean that Andrew Wiggins is in his, is it seventh or sixth year? I think he's in his seventh year, isn't he? Yeah, yeah. he'd be he'd be seven because Cat's six. Okay, so he's got six NBA seasons under his belt. And this is season seven. He's, tw- he's going to be, he's, I think, 25, almost 26. I think he turns 26 next month. He's in the prime of his career. And people are still waiting for the next bump in Andrew Wiggins, you know. And uh, it's been said before by other people, if you surround a mediocre player with Draymond Green, Steph Curry, and coach Steve Kerr, there's a chance they're going to get better. There's a chance <laughs> that, you know, that there's going to be something that will uh, improve both their attitude toward the game and their instructiveness in terms of what they know they have to do. Their role is limited and more focused. Um, and by the way, if they don't do it very well, there's usually a better person on the bench to replace them than there was in Minnesota. So, so- I think, though, an interesting part of it and, and a a general pushback against that, okay, he's in a better role, he's alongside a better coach, better players, all that, 
is that the Tibbs year in Minnesota when Wiggs moved to kind of the third role was was arguably his worst, you know, in in his in his time here. So I think I think to, so I, I'm kind of with you. I expected there to be a, a boost in his play there as well. But I think it was it was fair to question the idea that he had role player DNA in him, even if he had role player mental makeup, you know, right. from from the start. You know what I'm saying? Yes. But I mean, are we saying that because we uh, Wiggins sucked one year that therefore we should give him more credit now? I mean, no, 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 that's not what I'm saying. I'm just no, saying, no, but what I'm saying is, yeah. well, I mean, if you're going to have the idea, he sucked for more than one year, <laughs> but he was noticeably sucking during a season when he had the right things in place. So what you're saying is, well, it may not be that the things in place are the key because he had good things in place back in Minnesota for a while. And I would argue, all right, so he's matured to a place that the things any idiot would expect the player to get better at, he suddenly is better at, as opposed to a couple of years ago when any idiot would expect the player to get better and he didn't get better. I mean, how is that necessarily a brief on behalf of the new and improved Andrew Riggins? You know, it's like, uh, that's uh, fair. You know. So, look, I will give Wiggins credit for understanding that his closeout speed uh, is really helpful in, in getting more blocks. You know, um, pick and rolls nowadays, uh, you have a chance to switch or you have a chance to stay with the roller. And I think the way Golden State has helped defenders slows the roller. And if Wiggins stays with the roller, he can chase down blocks on uh, jump shots off pick and rolls. I saw that happen a couple of times uh, this season in games I've watched him. I think one in Minnesota, against Minnesota in the last two. Um, and I think that he understands that um, if he does a few certain things that are good, like not take any more long twos, um, that he is going to be rewarded on a higher platform by more reputable personnel and just in general his life will be easier i don't see how all of those things necessarily translate into the blossoming of andrew wiggins which is the thing that i push back against the most is it's not that um i don't want bad things for andrew wiggins and i think that i happen to think that the warriors run a first class franchise and um enjoy the fact that somebody can benefit from it who um, doesn't necessarily prioritize basketball as the main thing in his life. And if that thing in his life that he has to do because it pays him $30 million a year um, is better for him and his family, then I'm good with that. But the idea that suddenly Andrew Wiggins has blossomed because he's out of Minnesota um, I just don't see it. I, I saw Wiggins miss at the rim uh, uh, quite a bit while, you know, in the games against the Wolves. I saw him do that uh, confounding crab dribble turnaround uh, mid-range jump shot that goes in like maybe 34% of the time. Um, I saw his handle, uh, which improved greatly last year, um, is not taking another step. It's about where it was before. That stuff is interesting, right? Like I, I, I've noticed that too. Where it's like, 
they haven't tried to iron out some of the more obvious flaws in his game, which was kind of the, the opposite of, of what happened last year, as, as you're kind of alluding right. to, where, where they really, you know, Ryan and Rosa's really hammered home shot selection. And, and you saw a lot of the majority of Andrew's quote-unquote bad shots be removed from his arsenal, and they basically just prioritized that by getting him going downhill, whether in isolation situations or pick and roll. They, figure, they figured once he slows down, so does his sort of efficiency because he has right. to make another decision. And it's interesting you watching him, and I feel like I've watched a good handful of Golden State games this year too, I don't think he's necessarily slapped on the wrist for taking a mid-range shot anymore, even if it is a long two. Right. Like Steve Kerr just, and this goes back to years prior from Kevin Durant to Sean Livingston to whoever, Steve Kerr's more the sort of coach that's like, I understand that happens in the flow of the game sort of thing. And which, you know, uh, maybe that just is right. That's more art than science and, and is there. But but yeah, I, I do I do watch Wiggins play and I see this, pretty clear um, advancement on the defensive end because he's in a better system for all the reasons you laid out. But I, I think I think part of the issue of why he isn't truly blossoming or truly isn't that different of a player is that from an offensive standpoint, he's really doing the same things this year, except thus far he happens to be making 39 40% of his threes, which, you know, if that sustains for – 72 games like more power to him you had your best offensive season of your career but I've seen what are we 15 games in the season I've seen Andrew Wiggins make 40 percent of his threes over 15 games right 15 times in his career you know so it's that 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 his best area in offense right now is the most historically volatile area in basketball so I'm skeptical that we are as you're saying that we're really seeing a change um, in in who exactly Andrew Wiggins is, but I won't deny he's for sure overall better for for you know a, a, a litany of reasons. Right. Yeah, I think that um, he. I, I think what you said about role player mentality. If you you know, I don't think you said that exactly, but that's I think what you meant. Um, I think he has a role player mentality. Ex- he didn't have it initially. It kind of got beaten out of him. If you remember when uh, he used to really pride himself on being the crunch time go-to guy, it was the one thing that he always cherished. Mm-hmm. And that got taken away from him in the Tibbs Butler years. And I think that is one of the reasons he got a little bit dejected. I also think um, he just began to um, – he doesn't have a burning passion. I mean, one of the reasons he's one of the most likable players around the NBA is the guy is incredibly affable. I mean, he does just go along to get along, has a huge smile, you know, but that kind of mentality, and that doesn't, you know, that doesn't mean that nice guys are necessarily uncompetitive players and all that other stuff. But I am saying in this instance, I think that Wiggins would just as soon let everybody be on and off the court. <laughs> and so, uh, you know, th- th- that has its weaknesses, of oh, course. He, he reminds me of, like, and I think every group of friends has this, where it's he's the one guy that kind of the rest of the other people in the group 
can kind of just like throw jabs at and then like make fun of and stuff because one he's doing he's kind of goofy but right. two he just he just doesn't care he doesn't right. care if, if you do those sort of things and then it's it's this like situation where now that guy in your friend group is making millions of dollars a year you know he's a, a big tech wizard now or something right and uh and, so and he still takes the jabs he still takes the jabs yeah right and, like, oh, and, and even more than that i think sometimes when a guy is so willing to go along get along and take these jabs and everything like that you have a tendency to diminish him in your mind and i think i think that one of the reasons why um people are wanting to proclaim wiggins so much better and everything is that they forget you know, as our friend uh, Andy Grimsrud would constantly point out, and other people who are, are wicked stands, he's had some great moments in a Minnesota Timberwolves uniform. The guy hasn't been universally shitty his entire six years here. He had a lot of very fine games. He won a lot of games for this franchise. At the end of the day, it averages out to a mediocre player, but within those uh, many valleys are quite a few peaks. And so getting back to the analogy of, you know, a guy you Josh with all the time, you have a tendency to think, ah, he's not much, but then he shows you something. Like you say, the yeah, tech guy sure, or something, sure. but then all of a sudden you go, oh yeah, this guy isn't just hopeless, you know? And so then of course, you know, like Wiggins, you know, you josh him and josh him, and the next thing you know, you know, he's he's ascending forty inches for a putback or something, you know. <laughs> yeah. um, we're uh, I don't want to do an hour of Wiggins, but we, we are we are ten days away from the one year anniversary of the Wiggins Delo trade, and um, you know, I, I I think it's it's a very it's a very difficult thing to sort. Well, I don't know if it's difficult. It's it's kind of complicated thing to assess now in hindsight because it looks very obviously one thing um, from the Warriors' perspective, and it looks uh, at best, you know, or through rose-colored glasses that it's still to be determined on on the, the Wolves' side of the equation. So I guess I'm just I'm just curious as you sit here, or as we sit here now, 355 days removed from the trade uh from both teams perspective i'm curious whether it's uh, the warriors or the wolves just how what's the referendum on that trade well i think it's very very hard to deny that in that year uh that the trade has looked worse for the wolves than it did when it was made um definitely i don't i don't think gerson rosas would be uh, holding an event in uh city center floor now, for example, uh, uh, provided that D'Lo could show up with his contusion. Um, <laughs> but... Uh, you think that was a Gerson thing, by the way? I have no idea. And I don't even know... Oh, you, oh, you mean the, the, the convention center? Absolutely. Yeah. Okay. Absolutely. I think that... Um, you I, and I, I don't... You and I, I mean, both know that he was very, very perplexed and concerned over the steadfast apathy of the Timberwolves fan base. And it was season ticket renewal time. Um, it was, you don't 
you rarely have the chance to announce that you're getting rid of three quarters of your roster and bringing in like seven or eight new players. Um, if, if, if that went by without some kind of, of event, um, I think that would have been curious to have it be such a celebratory event and have him come right out and say, I was ready. This could have been done in May if I'd been able to pull the right trigger um, was a little bit of hubris that is now coming back to bite him. I, well, I, what I want to say, I, I think that was hubris and that doesn't, that has not aged well. Um, but I also wonder too, because I, I think that that whole event now in hindsight looks pretty rough, but at the same time, I don't know if that's on him to say, strike up the parade and put this all together. Or if somebody comes to him who's in, you know, some other department of the organization and says, Hey, we're going to do this big sort of thing. It's season ticket renewal time, et cetera, et cetera. And Gerson hasn't set for three days because it's been the trade deadline. And he goes, yeah, okay. Crank up the music. We, you know, we'll, we'll do it. I, 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 I don't, I don't know, but I, I've been, but you and I were there, right? We were there. We were there. Okay. And did you ever get the impression that somebody dragged Gerson Rosas to that ceremony? <laughs> no, no. That's I mean, my, my... I, I'm being, I'm being the Rosas apologist here, but <laughs> I mean, Gerson Rosas, that's fair. you know, if he was African-American, he would have found a mic to drop. You know, I mean, <laughs> I mean, are you kidding me? Uh, he was ready to say new page. Here we go. And, and, and in his defense now, I will say that it's just bewildering that they've had five games of the great one-two punch and no more than two in a row and we are a month away from a year's time or three Not weeks or a week, ten a week days, or two. Ten yeah, days. Ten days. so 355 days and five games five nba games it's crazy i mean that's uh gerson rosas is beginning to understand the timberwolves uh black <laughs> magic here you know so if, okay, if in theory, if it's you and I, and and we're the we're the presidents of basketball operations, and we we do something that we both think is so great that we want to have a parade in city center, um, we would assess it. What's would be because we've just assessed the trade we made as rather a win, a heisty. win, yeah, you know, yeah. <laughs> and 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 now and and so what it was at the time um, was a trade. That was for the 2021 first round pick, top three protected. The 2021 second uh, round pick as well. Right. That's and, a, that's actually a, a little commented upon asset that if the Wolves do, I mean, the lottery doesn't pertain to second round picks. So if the Wolves do maintain their standing as one of the three worst teams in the yeah. NBA, that's a 31 to 33 pick. That's pretty well, good. And And the Warriors have already traded it. You know that? Oh no, I did not know that. Who they, they traded, traded it to? For, they traded it to OKC for Kelly Oubre. Uh. <laughs> so I mean, like, which obviously the Oubre thing hasn't aged well, but at the time, we like, you know, you were like, hasn't aged I'm, well. I mean, it, for Oubre, yeah. it hasn't aged well for who? For Golden State? Well, yeah, because Oubre's kind of sucked. No, if you can get Kelly Oubre for a second round, no, 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 I know, I know, I, I'm totally with you that it, it worked because they had that big trade exception. The big trade exception they attached 
the Wolves second to it, traded it for Kelly Oubre. I'm just that's, doing the th- That's a heist. Well, they, they Kelly did. Oubre, did you see what Kelly Oubre did in that second game against the Wolves? Yeah, but Britt, what I'm hinting at is the fact that he made like one three out of 100 in his first 10 games. That I know, just means okay. he's due. I, sure. Okay. I I like I like Kelly Oubre too. I, I Kelly Oubre for for a twenty. I mean, if you want to talk about who should be having parades, um, being <laughs> able to get what that boils down to, then you know, but just take the Wiggins for D'Lo thing out of it as in and of itself the deal because it obviously wasn't the deal. It was. That's what I'm saying. Now, in retrospect, we are looking. It's D'Lo for Wiggins, Kelly Oubre, and our number one pick next year. That is pretty good. Oh, yes, there is a trade. You know, obviously, there's always debris and baggage to sort through when you're doing these deals because everybody's assets linger or Well, the trade exception is from the Andrea Godala trade, which is all messy in and of itself. Right, right. But, yes, I I say that to – acknowledge the war uh, the warriors side of the ledger here it's like green 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 like we're right. good wiggins fits better we got we got two picks we turned one of those picks into kelly Oubre, and they also ducked the luxury tax last year that's another win and so you have the inverse on the other and, side and then the- also i mean let's you also were able to get kevin durant because you managed to finesse uh Devo onto your roster, you know, you, you were able to get compensation for, yeah. you know, you didn't lose anything on Kevin Durant. Uh, I mean, exactly. D'Lo, D'Lo was incredibly useful to the Golden State franchise. Let's just put it that way. I mean, from the beginning until the end. Well, and and it just seems that they, they knew, well, they, to, to some extent, at a minimum, signing D'Angelo Russell as they did in the – Kevin Durant sign and trade was at a minimum to be this human trade exception, this player that they could, that they could attach other assets to, to get a Durant replacement. And which sounds silly now that it's Wiggins, but they didn't get a, just a Durant replacement in a singular player. They got all these assets attached to Wiggins, you know, there is as well. But I think they also just banked on the fact that the wolves were going to stay hot on right. on Russell's pursuit, meaning that they would get all of this stuff, you know, as they did. And then the, really the only risk, quote unquote risk, that Bob Myers and company had to take on was that, you know, is Wiggins an absolute disaster or not? Right. You know, betting betting on their culture, betting on their style, that they can turn Wiggins into a fourth best player. And if that's true, if they can, as it looks like they have it becomes a heist on the other side of it comes of the close. Yeah. I would think it comes close. I mean, um, I think Bert, we could be looking at this three years from now where this is the fourth or fifth pick. And then we go, we do all this. We go, Oh, you got Kelly Oubre. Oh, you got right. Wiggins. I mean, you and I could be talking a couple of years from now. You got like, Cam oh Cunningham or whatever. Right. right. <laughs> yeah. 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 What's yeah, his I name? Cade Cunningham. I think he'll be a top okay. three pick. So, <laughs> Uh, <laughs> yeah, but we know what top three picks in uh, in uh, January translate to be in June. It's not necessarily so, you know. Well, that's true. That's true. That's true. But 
Don't want to fight that battle, huh? <laughs> <laughs> um, Especially when I don't know what I'm talking about. Yeah. When it comes to a college player. <laughs> um, I'll go to battle with you. Let me let me ask this because this is the other part I've been I've been thinking about, and this will be our, our last part of the something Wiggins uh, is is I think what what really can make this look bad is the uh, is the is the idea that Wiggins was kind of traded as if he was useless, mm. which you and I have you and I have said you know we were both we both gave this trade a thumbs up at the time so. For for reasons right. not even I do just I do want to salary. stipulate that mine was a tentative thumbs up. It was a thumbs up, but it was not. Mm-hmm. Um, well, you know, my, I, I, I said mine was two thumbs up, so I'll wear that. Okay, I remember exactly my quote, which is, "If you put a gun to my head, I'll I'll okay the deal if it's either up or down." But you know, I I, I wasn't enthusiastic about it because I've never been a big deal guy. Part of that, you know, sure. and and. Um, and part of it was the pick, but I, I did not think the reason I eventually signed off on it were, were two reasons. One is I didn't think they'd be in the running for top three, top four, whatever you want to call it, you know, a revisiting of the, uh, the, the good old days where you're just praying that you suck enough to get what you need. Um, and and so I thought it was going to be like 10 to 12, maybe eight to nine or something, which is a, a demonstrable difference, usually mm-hmm. in some years, maybe not this last draft year. Um, and the other thing was that um, obviously, as Rosa's thought, as we all thought, we'd get a chance to see what D'Lo has. Um, I think it can be argued one thing that can be argued, and this is something that I suspected and said, but wasn't like fervently saying this is guaranteed to be, I never felt like D'Lo was a number two guy. I mean, I just never felt that. But this is a pobo that I had high regard for, and he chased this guy twice. He really believed and has pretty much no choice but to continue to believe that they can be a synergistic duo. Um, And what we do know is that D'Lo can't carry a team if Cat's on the sidelines. We do know that Um, as a kind of ancillary. And then, you know, I don't want to revisit Golden State and Wiggins the entire time either, but, uh, if they had made that deal, um, people would be talking about, boy, it's a good thing we, we managed to get D'Lo now that Clay is down. You know, at least he can be the two guard here. Um, and it would be interesting to see D'Lo in that lineup next to Curry and Draymond and, you know, all these other guys. Or, which in many respects may be D'Lo's best role anyway, sixth man. You know, when you need to sit Curry for a little bit or whatever. Um, I think so, they just realized from a Golden State perspective, they go, there's not, we need defense more exactly. than we need offense. You just said the magic word. You know, and that's, and that's that's exactly the reason why I wasn't high on D'Lo 
why he has right. not worked the out. The Timberwolves and... needed defense more than the Warriors needed defense. Yeah. So if one is true, shouldn't the other be? Okay, well, but here, here, and here, that me... is the quandary, isn't it? That yeah. this, you know, I mean that. It's why this doesn't line up. And the only way you can kind of line it up is you go, well, they're planning to get a third star or something else is planning to happen here. And Anthony Edwards and Cade Cunningham and all these sort of things are going to happen. And it's going to file D'Angelo into his right role on the team, which or right spot in the pecking order. And he's going to be elevated by cat. That's why it's, it's all of these things. You, the trade can still work for the wolves and, and be quote unquote worth it. You can't rule that out yet. I agree. It hasn't played out, but the odds are now, diminishing. The odds are significant. I would say significantly diminishing given right. what's played out, given the other side of the equation, given the fact that the 2021 class looks awesome, given the fact that cat's been out. So your year's kind of broken, like all these, all these sorts things, some of which have been out of their control. It's just, I just think it's aged really quite poorly yet yeah. still has a chance and you could say a, a lot of it is luck but a lot of it isn't um the a through line in gerson rosas's tenure thus far has been the belief that you can systemize improved defense there's been zero evidence for that thus far. I'm, I, I shouldn't say that. They, they have been able to um, organize where people take shots pretty well. And to the extent that there are marginal uh, benefits to that, you know, not allowing the best shots on the floor. I know you're longstanding. Come back to that. And I agree with it. Is that if somebody knows they're going to get an eight foot runner, it's a more accurate shot than if somebody has to resort to that. But I will say overall, I was just looking at the Wolves opponent shot charts uh, uh, yesterday or something, and they still directionalize people to the right places on the floor in terms of analytics. For sure. The, the problem is, is that thinking that if you have a certain system uh, that you can plug in personnel that aren't good defenders but they will be put in roles in a system that will help them be better defenders that has not happened and that is an indictment that's an indictment because that's half the game you know how you get stops and 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 it, it it's it's a blemish and a growing blemish on, on the Rosas decision-making because um, your power forwards, you, you punted power forwards. Um, see, Brit, see, I think this actually, it, it's weird, but I think it, it actually lines up well with the conversation about Wiggins in this idea that there was, they clearly put a process in place to how they envision this playing out. And yes. within within a reasonable within it's, one standard deviation right like they're very smart yep. they, they put that in place but you cannot control all the variables it's not necessarily going to remain within one standard deviation and what i think we've seen be exposed to the wolf for the wolves is that when things go 
more than one standard deviation to the right or the left. There is no plan in place, and the bottom falls out beneath. And and that's been true about the trade. When cat falls out, the whole the whole value of D'Lo seems to crater. That's the same thing with the whole offensive system and the defensive system. When these guys get hurt or when there's a pandemic, all this and that, the team ends up being demonstrably worse than the process suggested. It even could have been on a 5% tile. You know, they, they projected this all out and it's been worse than both of them. And, and you, and you know why stubbornness? Yes. I mean, a process is fine and Mm -hmm. it's good to stick to the process in the long range thinking. Um, but to to sign Juancho Hernan Gomez for $21 million because there are certain things he does that line up well with the process. Um, but you, there is no way a Juancho Hernan Gomez, Carl Anthony Towns front line is a playoff caliber defensive front court. And that's, they didn't even know at the time that Cat would make this, what seems to be a really pretty good leap this year on defense, you know, small sample size. But um, getting rid of Gorgie Jan, getting rid of James Johnson, getting rid of Dario Sarge. Look, I understand three different circumstances, three different skill sets in some ways. Well, don't forget but- about Covington. And Covington, of course. But Covington at least uh, brought back some chips. You know, Wancho, unfortunately, sure. one of them. That was but, I mean, you know, but, you know, what you got, you you essentially, at the end of the day, you flipped Jang for Rubio. Um, okay, you know, maybe that's a defensive thing in, in some metrics. But. Um, Hasn't worked. Well. There's so much that hasn't worked in terms of system, though. What I'm saying is um, live rebounding in transition, the Wolves are so much worse than any other team in the NBA. And that's because they, they try to crash five to get rebounds, and they're caught flat-footed because they don't have, especially with Cat out, um, they don't have a really legit, you know, uh, you know, graded four on a scale of one through five rebounder on the roster, except for perhaps Ed Davis on the offensive glass, but not, you know, it's, right. it's a, uh, and then everybody is, is deep and their uh, team's heading the other way. And, uh, you know, that hurts your defense. That's a power forward problem, I think. I mean, or at the very least, a backup center problem. Or well, and, and it's a problem they signed up for, right? That's, that's what I'm saying about stubbornness. They yeah. basically said, this is the way we're going to play. We've, we've moved very capable guys who could do that, but they don't fit the system that we want to do overall. So therefore, you know, they've made it so that yeah, everybody's crossing their fingers on Vanderbilt and McDaniels um, as, you know, maybe right. being those kinds of guys. But if you're starting to rely on two guys who, you know, the word raw 
you know, was invented for. Uh, I, you can't expect, you can't expect good things to happen. That's the part that gets me is um, it's either a massive bluff or um, it's some kind of, you know, gets back to your, um, it's a stealth rebuild. You know, it's a, we're going to tear it down in two years anyway, you know? Well, uh, that, and, and I think that's what, uh, I, I think that's what's kind of been underestimated in the fan base maybe is, is that, that they've been doing this all along. It has been a, a stealth rebuild. And if you think about it, given where Rosa's background is, and particularly where Sashin Gupta's background is, who literally was number two in command for the process Sixers. Right. Like we probably should have expected that this. Well, yet, I mean, yeah, it was, it wasn't, it wasn't presented as such. And I think the exact opposite, by the way. Yeah. And, and I think, what what fan a lot of the fans because the Timberwolves fan base is unique in that pretty much the the type of people who are steadfast fans in this team are NBA diehards yeah. or, or a, a large chunk of them are so they they see through this stuff maybe more actually than other fan bases would and and I think that's why it's led to more polarization between the fan base and Ryan the fan base and Rosas then even is maybe necessary uh, because they feel that they've been misled or maybe not been, maybe haven't, it hasn't been forthcoming to them what is happening. Yeah. But let's make no mistake. Um, we're putting forth a theoretical scenario, but if that scenario is accurate, they are being misled. They're being lied to. Cat is everything to this franchise. I've heard that more than once or twice. Mm -hmm. So everything is eventually in part of the grand plan on the block. I mean, you know, uh, am I blaming fans for starting to, you know, smell a rat here in terms of, uh, hey, wait a minute, you know, is this really what's happening? Um, I have no idea whether or not, you know, and, and Gupta, uh, Gupta, Gupta and Rosas are right not to show their hand too much because, sure. by the way, the burden the hand they have now includes a couple of $30 million players. And if they play to their best of their ability, uh, they're going to be better for a stealth rebuild or they're going to be more attractive cornerstones to get talent to, you know, cock around them. So there's nothing wrong with trying to maximize players. For sure. I, I get a little bit suspicious about um, the, and I've said this so many times now, I'm, I'm tired of hearing myself say it, but essentially the whole family vibe or, you know, loyalty, we take care of our own, ta-da, ta-da, ta-da. It's a business. You know, basketball is a business, and if you can make your team better, um, you know, you make your team better. And um... We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. 
Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. It's, it's, I'm always a little bit leery uh, of that. You know, I mean, this franchise still holds a torch for Zach Levine, you know, um, that, like that was a good, base? yeah, yeah. Well, what, what, what did I say? That this organization? The oh yeah. yeah. No, no. The fan base. Yeah. Important correction. Right. <laughs> hey, Brent, that was uh... like three administrations ago anyway. Yeah. <laughs> let's take a quick break. And then uh, I want to keep talking about this. All right, so Britt, I think, you know, the, the question really is, what's next? You know, and and obviously, what's next on a very micro scale is these games, and with Cat out for an extended period of time, and probably even once he comes back, you know, it's going to be a lot of losing. Um, I, I think I, I look at this as, you know, by the time Cat's going to be back, they're going to be, you know, four and twenty or something, or five and eighteen. And, and then, you know, Kat's going to come back and it's, it was maybe optimistic this year, even with Kat and healthy and normal circumstances that they'd be a, a 500 team. So it just feels like we're really shaping up the season in a very similar way to last year where the wheels really fell off at the middle of the season and they're going to hit this trade deadline here in a couple months. And the front office is going to be posed with the, you know, the question of what to do again. And, and I don't, I don't know. Like I thought last year at the trade deadline, it made sense to, you know, flip it all over, make some moves, try and win every move on the margin and all that, this and that. But can they completely like blow up the roster again? That seems kind of crazy but it also seems like they kind of have to. Well, I mean, as always with those huge questions, the devil is in the details. I mean, do they get back the type of assets that would make a fan base feel better about things? Um, popularity is a weird thing. You know I mean? I, I, I mentioned Levine for a reason. I mean, Zach Levine was a charismatic guy. He was relatable to a lot of people. I was probably his biggest detractor and, and kind of still probably wear that because uh, detractor to be clear. Detractor. Yeah. Detractor. Somebody yeah. who does not like Zach Levine's uh, overall value on the court. I think he's wonderful. To look at He still has one of the prettiest jump shots I've ever seen in my life. Uh, by the way, he's, he's really started to develop as a pick and roll threat. Um, he um, in a lot of ways is, is becoming 
one of your mid-tier, right outside the all-star game kind of guys um, that is good to have as a third best player on Like a D'Angelo Russell. <laughs> <laughs> Amen. You know, uh, cheaper, cheaper than Daniel Russell. Although, uh, I mean, trying to decide who the better defensive player is in that is, uh, you it's know, that's the kind of thing you need drugs to figure out, you know. <laughs> I mean, you know, I, uh, I, I, Zach Levine is one of the worst defensive players I've ever seen in my life and made all the worse by his phenomenal athleticism. Um, somebody that athletic continually making either bad decisions or indecisions. Um, it's catastrophic. This, this, it kills, it kills a team. I mean, his next 500 team will be his first, you know, I mean, this guy does not contribute to winning basketball. To borrow okay. a, a Scott Brooks this phrase, is, you know, we we gotta we gotta talk about this because, and I'm not saying it is going to happen, but the Anthony Edwards comparison to make right now in terms of players in the NBA is Zach Levine. Yeah, I actually think that I saw Zach Levine as a teenage rookie, um, mm-hmm. and. Zach Levine didn't see the court as well as Ant sees it now. Okay, that's uh, uh, you know which is important. No, um, I, and I'm I'm not saying they are. What identical. I will say, what I will say is that um, some of it is what are they seven years apart or six years apart? He came in the same like year six, as yeah. uh, Wiggins, so seven, six, whatever. Um, mm-hmm. The game has changed. So to say that Ant has a higher court IQ is to uh, attribute 2014 thinking by Zach to 2021 NBA play. That's not fair to Zach. But I will say that um, Edwards has more capability to be a strong two-way player, I believe. and that I, is based in physical makeup. Yes, mostly. Just because I do think that uh, I think he can be a small ball power forward very easily. Um, well, he's going to need to go to a different team to do that, I think. But, <laughs> um, well, except, you know, there's no reason you can't make cool wrinkles off things, you know. No, no, but this is the thing is they won't. They obviously will play small ball power forwards, or they will have guards play power forward. They've done that a bunch. What they will not do is put a player it's in initiate. a situation that that will that won't let him reach his ceiling. And and I think with Anthony Edwards, the idea of turning him into a power forward, an optimized power forward, is nowhere near what what he could be if he were to grow as into being a two. So I don't. I don't think that's even a possibility here. Well, um, these are ridiculous comparisons, but you could argue that Durant and LeBron are power forwards. Yeah. Okay. So what I'm talking about is do all power forwards who 
again, it's a ridiculous comparison because those guys are so complete in their games now. But if you remember Duran as a rookie, I ripped Duran as a rookie. You know, he, he was awful in a lot of ways. I mean, I, it's one of my biggest stains on my reputation is thinking he was always going to be that way. I said some nasty things about Kevin Durant. Were you at, were you at SI then? I don't know where I was, but you know, wherever I was, I, I'm sure anybody who read it would happily point out exactly where I was at the time because it was really <laughs> stupid. Uh, you know, I mean, I, you got to own it. I mean, I, I did not think that Durant, I, I have a, a an inherent bias against, uh, stringy i thought ingram wouldn't pan out um you know oh, I, yeah Jane mcdaniels look out well except you know i mean hopefully i'm learning my lesson one of the things i like about mcdaniels and i know we're really roaming now but um care. uh jade mcdaniels what were we talking about oh edwards we we're talking yeah. about edwards okay go mcdaniels jade mcdaniels is one of those rare NBA players. And I don't think it's anything you you really have control over. It's kind of like a, a aura or a magic about it that he operates at his own pace. He never looks like he's hurrying anywhere. Um, he does let the game come to him. Um, he's going to be exposed. I'm not saying he's a second coming. You know, he was the 28th pick in the draft and very, very raw and had a, a really bad game the last time we saw him play. But there is something about his decision-making always feels measured, always feels he's not doing like a last gasp thing ever, it seems to me. He's, um, he dishes the ball to the corner on drives up the gut. He uh, gets in position for corner threes at with just the right amount of timing so that People don't notice him until it's too late. He, um, on defense, um, knows when to go for weak side blocks and knows when to, to go straight up on things. But none of it feels hurried to me. None of it feels like, um, it's like Edwards is all throttle. It's all hurried. And that's his pace. I mean, I, and there's nothing wrong with that. That's his, that's his mean. That's his rhythm. That's his metier. But, um, a lot of players are like that. The guys who just basically let the game come to them and kind of slowly dissect it along the way, I never would have imagined, you know, I mean, I didn't this even. This is a weird comparison, but it, what what I hear that you're describing reminds me a lot of Shea Gilgis Alexander. Yeah, actually, that's a really good comparison, I think. Who obviously plays a different position, but. But they're kind of similar body type. And also, um, they're moving fast, slowly. Exactly. Covering more ground than you anticipate. You know, D'Lo has a little of this, but D'Lo gets a lot of it with limb, with limbs, you know. Um, His arms, man. Yeah, it really are amazing. (laughs) It really is arms. Yeah. So so let me me do my McDaniels thing. Okay. So... I for me, what I always do, which we have, which is a a pastime of you know covering the Timberwolves, is there's always a fascination with the three or four guys right. who aren't playing, right? And who also may turn out. You you got to look for yeah. hope somewhere. Once they start killing, you know, the whack a moleing the the first four or five hopeful things, <laughs> you begin to look for six, seven, and eight. Wancho and yeah, um, yes. So so what I've always done, and what I. 
I, I did this before I was, um, you know, like covering the team, but what is really open, like the opportunity a lot more is, is you haven't, you don't really get to see these guys play on the floor. So I always really enjoyed watching them during their drills and warmups uh, before right. games. And that's a, a big thing that I shape, you know, I, I shape my opinion off of that and, and watching them shoot and watching. Yeah, them I really miss that, by the way. I, I, <laughs> I can see it kind of from the top of the lower deck now, right. but, but I, I miss it too. I go off of that. Um, I go off of just like their general physicality by, by looking right. at them, which right. also is something we can gather a lot better in person. And then three, I go off of, um, you know, the way they present themselves in, in conversation, whether that be in the locker room, um, when, you know, when we're right, around, when we had a locker room, right? Yeah, exactly. And, uh, when we're in person and it's, it's like to use a, to use a, a, a other relevant example, like Jalen Noel for me, who we've seen a similarly small amount of stuff is, you know, I've been watching him for three years right now and seeing him around or talking to him around doing interviews and stuff. And like Jalen Noel for me checks all three of those boxes. I love watching him. I love watching him shoot. Right. At, and in I love the way he works when I watch him during his his pregame stuff. I I, I think like he's a, a stout little one and a half two guard that I am like I, I like the way this guy carries himself. Um, there's a there's a you know a physicality to him, and I think he's a I think he's an interesting like strong willed person in, uh -huh. in that way. And and Jaden McDaniels to me doesn't. He doesn't check any of those boxes or, you know, uh -huh. did it before I was watching him play. It's like I, I'm i a psycho person. And so sometimes, like, when people are shooting, I'm, like, just tracking right. in, in their pregame stuff when they're making and missing. And Jaden McDaniels, just in open gym time before games, misses a lot. And, like, I don't think his shot's particularly aesthetically pleasing. Right. Um, he seems very young and doesn't really know who he is mentally and all these sort of things. So, so I'm like, ah, eh, eh, eh. like did, wasn't giving Jaden McDaniels any time of day. That is all to say that what's a lot more important than my three subjective boxes are what he's actually doing on the floor. And, and what he's doing on the floor is within a Timberwolves concept, very effective. Right. And, and he is, it is, it is all of those things that, that you described. And, and I don't blame you know, the fans for getting excited about, about him. I don't know exactly like what his best role. I don't really have my head wrapped around him yet, but there is, there's so much more that I can now envision out of him than I would, would have been able to say three weeks ago. And, and that's what people, and I'm not saying casual fans don't recognize this, but they don't recognize it as, as a truism as much as it is development in the NBA, except for rare examples of all stars and busts is a stair step. And what, it, what those stairs are, are you demonstrate a mastery at some level. And there is a counter. The counter may be more back to backs, better scouting, an opponent who discovers a weakness and just hammers it. Um, then you, you combat that and get the, that second step is maybe harder to reach than the first step. 
but then you get to that second step and maybe you've done that a little bit. All right, so then um, maybe you start to figure into not nearly the top of the game plan or even the middle of the game plan, but there's a specific thing that everybody on the bench knows about you um, going in that they want to encourage you to do because you do it badly or stop you from doing because you do it well. Um, and that's a step you have to master is ironing out your weaknesses or enhancing your strengths to the point where you can stop capable people from doing that. All along, you have, especially if you're young, like McDaniels and Ant, some of these other people are, you've got the physical component to it, which is that um, people will get rougher with you. Um, if nothing else works, they'll just bang the shit out of you, you know? <laughs> And that's McDaniels, coming, right? I'm, I'm waiting for that step with McDaniels because that's mm -hmm. not going to be pretty. Um, you know, I think he does really sky and he gets up in the air and he's really good. But just by his whole nature, I don't get the impression that he's ever really gotten a welcome to the NBA yet. And, uh, you know, that may happen. You know, it would have been fun. I don't know about Philly tonight, you know, uh, but uh, I – Ben Simmons is good at doing that already. Uh, so it'll be interesting <laughs> to see, uh, you know, if he gets involved in that. But I, I do think that... I think you got to move into the starting lineup to get that. I think we're starting to see that with Lomelo. Yeah, I guess and, and you're actually starting to see it with uh, Vanderbilt. Some of the mm -hmm. things that Vanderbilt does really well are just scouted for. Are hustle-related, yeah. but then you say, okay, you know, I mean, it's kind of like... Uh, uh, how do you trap a bull or a bear? You know, you put mm -hmm. bait in the wrong place and then you shut the lid. I mean, Vanderbilt, you would think if, if Vanderbilt was a, uh, was a nose tackle, you'd run traps on him all day. You know, nobody's guarding me. Oh, okay. I'm going to go get the quarterback. while the, you know, the, mm -hmm. the, the pulling tackle levels you from the side uh, that can happen with Vanderbilt now in terms of uh, you present pick and rolls or that, like that split action that Jim Pete was, noticing yeah. you know before the the pick hey you're getting picked where you want to go around the pick stick is exactly what they want you to do you know you're leaving a guy even more wide open or whatever these are the kinds of things that unbridled you know balls to the wall hustle you know it's nba can be like a game of judo they can use your aggression against you and that's what he's kind of looking at right now um on the other hand, I thought Ryan was smart to throw him on Curry a couple of times, uh, you know, throw him on Curry, throw him on LeBron, throw him on whoever. He's like a larger Okogie, and I think you want to give both of them time because, you know, you got 12 fouls there, and and, and Vando's going to use his five or six, <laughs> you know. Yeah, they, they, went with, they went with Vando after they had to pull a Kogie. Or yeah, Ryan well, you know, they had to that's just one of those situations where um, we talked about this last time. Stop telling Josh Okogie it's okay to shoot. I think somebody finally did because he he did. He had zero shots one game in the Golden State Series. He didn't play a lot, but still zero shots in 12 minutes. And but if you're wide open from the three, he's actually sees the floor pretty well. He's not a great handler, but then again, nobody is guarding him. So he can get to a spot on the floor that people have to guard him. And if they don't guard him, just go get fouled. He's not a bad free throw shooter. So 
I just don't want him taking threes anymore. And I know here again, you know, that's not part of the process, but. Uh, well, I, I did my, my whole thing uh, on my like post game pod is I just, I just ran through those four straight possessions where he left you know, slot, he, almost the same play every time. Yeah. And he we took one, he took one from the corner cause he slid over there, but oh, they were literally right. leaving him wide open. And then, the Warriors went down and scored, 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 scored. Dead ball. McLaughlin comes in for a Kogi. And then the problem was is that this stuff compounds because Josh is actually a good player and helpful for the team. They right. need him defensively. On defensive, right. But what, what happened the rest of the quarter was now Josh is out of the game. Vanderbilt, as you alluded to, is on Curry, or they're just trying to muck things up, you know, trying different things defensively. And the Warriors made 10 of the 12 shots they took the rest of the half. The only two misses were James Wiseman mid-range jump shots. Like, and then at that point, at that point, it was 95, you know, the quarter ended 95 to right. 75, game's right. over. Before Josh took his first three, it was 67 to 60. It was a seven-point game early in the third quarter. It completely broke the team. Mm-hmm. It completely broke the team and, and lost the game there. And and it, it is because it is because you are telling Josh Okoge to shoot, that it is fine for him to shoot which is a completely, completely unjustifiable position in any sort of statistical background. Yes. It just is. These are just facts now. Like, Okogi shot 26.6% on catch-and-shoot threes last season. Last season, which was last amongst the 209 players who shot 100 catch-and-shoot threes. And where was Culver? Culver was 201st. There you go. Also, also getting 100 up. And, and, and where will Edwards be say, this year? Edwards is Edwards actually misses off the bounce. Uh-huh. He's 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 like fourteen percent off the bounce from three and like thirty three percent on on catch and shoots. But the, the the problem is just <laughs> whatever. The problem is just that that that's not Josh Okogie's game. It right. goes back to our whole be all you can be conversation. Right, right, right. And and I don't. What what I think is is wrong as as a coach is they have not even really tried to use him as a screener. If you go back and look at the last play. Of, of the second quarter going into halftime, there's kind of this this dead ball sort of thing. Or, or the, Edwards has the ball up top, and Akogi kind of like it runs by him and then just kind of sprays out to the wing. And it's just an – there's literally like six seconds left. It's an obvious situation where you just set a screen right. if you're allowed – if you are a screener right. you know, in your offense. And it ended up that, a, that Edwards just moved towards the middle of the floor, took like a 30-footer, missed it. And – that they haven't tried to use Josh Okogie as a screener and have instead told him, you are a three-point shooter. I, I, it's, ridic- it's, it's honestly the most ridiculous thing to me in this whole idea of the system. And probably frustrating because I feel like it's something I've been on for a while that I don't think Josh Okogie is playing the right position. But at a minimum, corner. You're in the corner alone. Like other teams do this across the league. You're a you're a corner shooter. You're you're either a non three point shooter, you're a corner three point shooter, or you're a both a corner and above the break three point shooter. Like do have him be what Taj Gibson was that one year, right. where occasionally you're shooting corner threes. That's all he's proven he deserves That's as right. a three point shooter at this point in his career. And it's ridiculous. It's ridiculous to say we're fine with you taking five three-pointers a game, however you want to take them. Ridiculous. It's, it's, it's literally tanking. You're literally going to make yourself lose, as they did in that Warriors game. 
Well, the sample size is, is long. I mean, there hasn't been, Josh Okogie has never gone on like a four game stretch where he's hit 60% of his threes. That's the issue here. The issue is there's no hope for that type of right. upside for him. This is another one of my issues right now with Rosas is that um, small ball power forward is one issue and three point uh, shooting space and pace drafting people who are not three point shooters. Um, And all right, fine. Um, You don't want to waste your number one pick or your number six pick on a three point shooter. But guess what? They don't grow on trees. And you had a guy like Desmond Bain sitting in the mid teens to early twenties. I can't remember where Memphis got him, but the guy is a four years player at TCU hitting over 40% of his shots each season. I mean, it's just absurd that the pedigree he but clearly that is a player they have that is a player they have no interest in. And and a player because he's a four year player and because there's not a ceiling there. That's a that's why they have and, they and have no he is a they they are on a cat timeline. And what I'm saying is um if your six, seven, and eight guys are going to be home run swings where you don't get all of the pitch and therefore you get a blue double. Don't talk to me about the brilliance of your hitting. Um, you know, I mean, occasionally you want table setters. If you want to keep this analogy going, I don't anymore, but uh, essentially what I'm saying is, is that you do need, <laughs> you, <laughs> You do need guys who are role players. <laughs> you were just talking to yourself. <laughs> Continue. I bored myself. <laughs> I'm sure the podcast listeners will really appreciate that. Uh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> oh, deep breath. Deep I mean, breath. it was a decent analogy, but then I thought to myself, well, wait a minute, you know, I mean. It's I can get to, I can different cut to the quick analogy. a lot faster than this. What other sport were you talking about before that I also didn't know what was going on? Oh, football. Oh, the no, no, football. Plate. I knew that was – that was oh. actually that was actually a good one. It was, oh, okay. it was X's and O's above my head. But. Uh, well, anyway, <sighs> the, if, you, if Desmond Bain isn't a guy that you want when you have the number one pick and the 33 pick, and you have 17 there, and you need another three-point shooter. Yeah, you've got Beasley. Yeah, you've got uh, D'Lo. Yeah, you've got Cat. You've got three pretty good three-point shooters. But your game, I mean, you, you just spent seven buck, million bucks a year on Wancho, for God's sake. Is Wancho a better bet for your investment than a 17 pick? I mean, it, Wancho's easy to bash right now because he's had such a Terrible year, but to be fair, I've been bashing Wancho before then. That's true. You have. Uh, yeah, I mean, I, I don't know. I mean, th- this goes back to the whole thing of like, yeah, I, I'm with you. I would have taken Desmond Bain. I'm just saying it's it's very – this is very clearly like a behavior they don't have and won't have. Like, I would have been shocked if 
I would be shocked if they ever draft a player who isn't a 19-year-old. Just because, just because the math says that your likelihood for progression is substantially higher if you're 19 when you enter the league versus when you're 22. Like, I, I, I don't know this to be a fact, but I would assume that those guys are kind of crossed off of, of out of consideration. Xavier Tillman as well, who, who you right. are also, Another guy also higher right. there. You know, and, and so it's, it's, the whole, it's the whole home run swing ideology. And the, the thing is, is we're just – I'm not totally against, like, a general home run swing ideology when you're a bad team that needs to grow. The problem I see is that they swing for home runs in every element of basketball, up and down, the draft, the free agency. Well, that's what I'm saying. The, like – yeah, Josh shooting threes. Okay, but swinging for the fences on three and zero versus zero and two is a world of difference. You're, You're going to strike out. I know. Here we go again. <laughs> um, no, so, no, I, I, I'm with you. So all I'm asking for is a bunch. is every now and then, or just take a couple of borderline pitches and get on first base for God's sake, you know? Okay. But here's the thing. I'm telling you that's not going to happen. So the question is, what if I told you work? that telling Joshua Koki not to shoot is not going to happen? Well, yeah. <laughs> and I think that was, is also, yeah. So, well, I mean, there fair. you go. Well that's then, fair. you know, okay. So, you know, hence four and 12, it. four and 13 or whatever it is, you know, it's, um, you can, have a system and the system could be sound thinking. But if you don't have a backup system, then mm. don't blame people who complain about the weaknesses in your system. We wouldn't be complaining about those weaknesses if your backup system didn't expose the flaws that we can now see because some things have gone wrong. I mean, that's what it comes down to is um, you leave yourself open to second guessing when your stubbornness prevents any other way of interpreting your intentions. If your intention really is to swing for the fences on every single one, um, then don't be surprised when you're playing you a, a lot. when you're playing a guy yeah. who is being put in a slot that is not fitting him. What would happen? This could have happened very easily. You take Okogi out after his first two misses and put in Desmond Bain. <laughs> there you go. Yeah. Yeah. You know that takes care of that issue. All of a sudden, it's a whole new set of. Uh, calculations oh, that have to be a great made. point that's so right. and, and and the wolves frequently are left in these weird positions where you know okay vandos in foul trouble do we bring mcdaniels or layman off the bench i mean right. yeah that's great that's a great idea which one of those power forwards do we think <laughs> is going to match up well here you know against the 19 year old kid who weighs yeah. like a buck 80 or the uh guy who is probably so down on himself now that uh, he's got to tie his shoes twice. I mean, you know, it's just, it's just, uh, no, it's incredible. 
you need competence somewhere along the line. And if you don't, I mean, the, the reason I harp on the power forward thing so much is because um, I don't think anybody is like pushing back on like, well, Brett, a little too much on the power forward. I but mean, I mean, the other thing, it's obviously an issue, the issue. And, and it, it, it's going sooner or later, it's going to affect cat. If all the things, if, if cat is indeed putting up with the losing, you know, all the, the, right. the, the drowning out and everything, the one thing I think cat is the kind of person and you know, this is jumping to conclusions. I have no idea how cat will react, but I've watched him now for four or five years. I think if Cat makes a commitment, he's expecting good things to happen. And if they don't happen, I think he's going to be a lot more uh, scornful than he is. He's heard for three or four years now from me, among many others, that he's a lousy defender and that he is the reason why this team ultimately isn't taking that step. All right, so here he comes. He's busting his ass on the floor this year. He's doing all the right things. I mean, yeah, it's four or five games, and we don't know how it's all going to pan out. Uh, you know, if you're a Timberwolves watcher for any length of time, you know you can't necessarily take this to the bank yet. But let's assume that Cat, as a good defender, continues. And let's assume that the power forward position remains weird. Uh, you know, we haven't even talked about Nas yet, which we probably should get into before we go uh, too far beyond our usual length. But um, if Cat doesn't have a capable bruising guy next to him, uh, helping him out physically when, when people start to pound, when, when you're running what Memphis ran that time when they just, you know, totally destroyed the Wolves process like seven ways to Sunday. Uh, there, there's a boxing analogy in there, but you're the yeah the sport polymath. So well, that... <laughs> <laughs> Until I bore myself with it. But uh, it's, if Cat doesn't get, Cat needs a dealer at the four, uh, a guy he, he's confident with, you know, I think they might've had one at one point, but um they got rid of it, and he wasn't really a four. He was actually a three in Rocco. But he wants somebody. He wants a running mate. Actually, Gar Garnett was the four that was the guy he, he liked. And he actually played very well next to Gorgie Jank. There's a, there's a decent history of Cat being a lot better on defense when the poor sucker isn't the only one getting pounded in the paint, you know? Remember when we fought last year about – me saying Miles Turner would be a good. Yeah, a I good remember that. Yeah, time. yeah, and and that's it's looking that, like a good defensive player now. It's looking very good, and who knows? Um, I mean, what's really interesting about that is that Indiana has worked a very similar type deal with Sabonis and Turner, um, yeah. and that that's a really good coach too. I mean, yet another nameless guy who's come out of nowhere to. Uh, you know, join the Taylor Jenkins and uh, uh, Nick Nurses Nick of Nurse, the world. Yeah, yeah of right. guys who go, whoa, you know, that's well, interesting. That's why I, I think Nick Nurse's current assistant coach will be the Timberwolves' next head coach. 
And it, that's not Finch. Who are you talking about? That is Finch. Yeah. Oh, it Finch is Finch. Moved to Toronto, oh, we did. Yeah. I didn't realize that. Mm-hmm. Ooh, that's interesting. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and Toronto's not doing very well this year, but. Well. Um, is Nas is Nas the uh, the option? Is Nas the answer on the roster at Power Four? Very given... easy to say is the option than he is the answer. I mean, if you want to, <laughs> <laughs> uh, fair. I mean, that's a that's a if if Nas is the answer, then the question is fraught. Is all I can say. Uh, well, the question is fraught. What yes, it, is, other... it is fraught. Uh, I mean, it's not like Vanderbilt's been bad. It's just like Vanderbilt's probably just a backup. Right, like a good energy big, you know. But you could Not say good, the same thing solid. about Nas, you know. Fair. Nas That's is uh, is the kind of guy who, um, first of all, before I go any further, he was great the other night. Yeah. I mean, he was uh, he was on the floor for loose balls. I mean, remember when the joke about Nas was that he like fall down at the drop of a dribble, you know, uh, and. That's- all of a sudden he, he had a gut. All all of a sudden he's on the floor for purposeful reasons, other than just being, you know, bowled over or tripping over his own feet or something. And so um his nose for the ball is dramatically improved. It used to be when people would do straight line dribbles right at him, he'd take the body. Now his eyes are on the ball the entire way. And even if he commits the foul. He's not getting the N1s against him that he was before. He's mm-hmm. getting strips. Um, and, uh, you know, I think it is fascinating how much his pick and roll game has improved. Uh, it was lousy uh, for a while when he as came As a defender. In. Yeah, and as or, an offender, too. I mean, yeah, I think yeah. both both ways. But you're right, as a, as a defender, I was originally speaking offensively, and McLaughlin obviously has some something to do with that. They really have a great connection. But um, let's go defense. He really has begun to to um, the thing about bigs in modern day pick and roll is understanding space between you the triangle, you the roller, and the ball handler mm-hmm. is a triangle. How can you make it an isosceles triangle that is equal parts distance? Because the moment you commit one way or another, a smart, you know, roller or, you know, ball handler is going to know how to burn you. Um, Nas has, has measured the space a lot better than he used to. And um, I mean, and it's a real testament for just reps, right? Like, yeah, yeah, I agree. That, that's and as, much as, we, as much as right. we rip on, on, you know, Oh, you know, you're playing McDan, you're playing all these 19 year olds and stuff. Like, right. to be fair, a reason that Nas has really grown into being the lone bright spot we can talk about on this podcast is is because he, you know, he got time last year to figure out how the hell to play defense. He I mean, has been prioritized. He yes. has been relative he to really his has. relative to his standing. More than anybody on the team. Without a doubt. The, yep. Uh, yeah. I think we talked about this last time too, yep, right? Like did. where where he was – he came in this season was like, oh, not – they were like, Nas is the backup center. What are you talking about? Like I remember asking questions about right. – you know, and he was – yeah, no, he's he's the guy. And, and in these six games without Cat, he's been playing almost 30 minutes a night, you know. He's uh, – I, I, I mean, I really like him. I, I, I really like him. And, and I have – 
grudgingly come to like him. I don't like the idea of him. I don't like the idea of um, what it means um, for this team. I, I, I want this team to have good slots in the front court. And I just don't know. I don't think Nas and Cat are an ideal. There's, there's a lot of, a lot of teams. I don't that think are, it's ideal either. Brent, a lot of teams I, are going to kill that duo. Well, I, I want to see what Cat and Vando do uh, together. Sure. I actually think that might so, be a higher so let's upside. Split it up. Let's split it up. Well, and like, my whole point, yeah, I was actually thinking, give Ed Davis the backup center minutes and give Nas some of the backup center minutes, but have Nas play with Cat and play with Vando sometimes. Mm-hmm. But I think Ed Davis needs to be in the mix about 10 minutes a night and uh, pertinent to your and our agreed statement that Nas gets priority. And if it comes down to Cats getting 34 minutes a night, I don't think they will use Ed Davis anymore unless there's foul trouble. And I, I, th- so I think that's a big, I think that's a mistake. I mean, you keep on, um, it's kind of like if you're stuck in the mud or in snow. And yeah, one of the ways to do it is you can rock your way out of it. You know, you can uh, hit the gas, hit the brake, roll backwards, get some momentum going, and rock your way out of it. Um, or you can go out and get a rug or a piece of cardboard or something and put it under the wheel and get it out. One makes you feel good about how well you know how to drive. You know, you, you I'm out of this thing. I know how, I'll just rock it. You know, uh, the other one, you got to go to the garage. You got to, you know, it's, it's a pedestrian kind of bullshit way to do it. You know, Ed Davis is the piece of cardboard or the, the, the rug. He's the guy that gets you out of the ditch without a lot of muss and fuss. Uh, but it's really not something that is going to improve your driving, except for the fact that now you're further down the road and you get to improve your driving in other ways down the road. Um, and so I resist, it's one of my resistances to Nas is that he is a wrinkle guy. You play him as a wrinkle in your system. He's not a, uh, I, I can't think of a lot of Nas prototypes uh, around the league um, as somebody who's like a three, four, who, you know, I don't know. I mean, and perhaps there is one or two. Wait, did you say three, four? I'm sorry, four or five. Yeah, okay. sorry. sorry. <laughs> because now, that would be always, a wrinkle. That'd be. You've a, always be... hammered on this size that, that, or this thing that Nas is undersized. I know. Like, you, I saw your tweet today. Yes. Good. Yes. Yes. Because, yes. because it, it. Man, you know this, this, this is my biggest pet. This pet. presupposes that Bam and Allen are not undersized, though they are. They're you six nine. Without shoes, if you're six nine without shoes, like okay, let's okay say we could go back eight. in the past. Who's it? name some six eleven players? Oh. <laughs> I guarantee you what I'm telling you is there's six nine without shoes on. Robert those guys Parrish. are all six eleven. <laughs> I bet you I bet you Robert Parrish is six nine without shoes on. I, like it's this stupid thing. I Okay, I, so I he just doesn't play big. Yeah, okay, sure. That 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 might be right. fine. But the, and the, actually, Bam doesn't is, either. You know, that's the thing. 
Uh, but they all have they all have long wingspans, which which I think that's the part that is lost with Nas a little bit is like people just kind of think he's this not super tall kind of glub. Okay, that's fair. Uh, what he's I would seven, say is seven three and a half wingspan. That's long. I think he's more analogous to Jared Allen than he is to Bam because Bam knows how to take the body. Jared I, Allen I doesn't like the body. Players like players oh. obvious like Bam is obviously way 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 better. Jared Allen is way 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 different. Like I was just saying in size alone that like the thing that is easy to mistake about Nas is that size isn't really the key to his game. He's a finesse player. Yeah. You know, I mean, so it, yeah, it certainly helps you being a finesse player with a seven foot wingspan. You know, you get a lot more finesse out of that. Uh, three. Yes. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Uh, so I don't know why I'm arguing with you or pushing back with you about the idea of Nas being a perfectly capable front court guy. Which is, that's all my argument is. I'm not suggesting this is the front court pairing of the future. Right. Uh, And and, and that may be one of the things I'm thinking of. I just, uh, um, one of the ways that this team has ground me down this year (laughs) is that, um, hopeful scenarios that are ultimately more a sign of how hopeless it is uh leave me impatient <laughs> you mean you, know? you mean like me talking about <laughs> Jalen noel's pregame shooting <laughs> well again you know and i mean and not by the way a little sidebar here we have to do a little sidebar here uh, i said i was going to do this as soon as we flipped on the on the uh the microphones. How are you doing? I can't believe that you're continuing to do post games. Um, and I, I, I mean, I don't listen because I'm not a podcast listener, but I assume you put passion and rigor into it and are continuing to um, just it's fun, break man. It's this little, down. it's, it's like a, so you have what a niche, I do, right? Well, what I do is not that I write myself a whole script for it, but I really bullet point it all out because I have to talk to myself right. for 25 minutes. So it's kind of cool. It's now shaping up to be like a Google Doc journal for yeah, me from now, the season. I get that because that's what I do with my Twitter feed. You know, I get to see all the right. stupid things I've tweeted. But every now and then there's also stuff like, oh, yeah, that's right. That I remember that play, and that is indicative of something I want to write about. Yeah. No, I. so I, I mean – I'm I'm actually enjoying it. What I don't enjoy, I mean, the the nine p.m. starts are brutal. They are. Um, I, I oftentimes I mean, just, don't make the second player, third player, fourth player uh, after the. You know, if I get there for Ryan and one player, I'm good. Yeah, it's uh, it's a lot after that too for me because it's then you know I got then you got to do the podcast. That's what I mean. Yeah. You know, so I, which is to say, I'm very glad that that's you know that that's done but it's uh i i don't know i mean it's it is what it is like the, I, I don't people who say oh i got like i see it on twitter every guy i'm like can you imagine do you have to do this after every single game and i'm like i don't know man i could think of way worse oh know, yeah without way, a doubt that, way worse things we are things among the lucky doing. ones i mean the idea that we hang yeah. out and just talk about basketball in general is i mean For but sure. this to me is fun you know i mean i don't have yeah. to 
whenever I've done podcasts with people, whatever, my, what I always say, and I'm sure I said it to you is just as long as I don't have to touch any buttons or do anything mm-hmm. other than just sit and talk. Talking to me is a lot of fun. You know, I like to talk. Dude, that part actually does suck. It seems like, or what I thought before I got all into this was like, oh, you know, just record it in the microphones and, and then you just, you know, upload it. And no, there's, that part's annoying too, where you got to do all this into iTunes and then I have to put, uh, I don't know. It, right, right. There, there, there are elements, there are elements to that too. But again, whatever, I will, I will, I will take all that. It's just, it is kind of comical that the season I've decided to start doing this after every game is a soul season. Show. Right. Yeah. Oh my God. It's like, but it's not the worst. I mean, I've heard people youngins coming to the, uh, uh, the Timberwolves uh, stratosphere. Give me a worse one. Oh, no of recent of my life. I, I can give you a top five that doesn't include this season. You know, okay. I mean, I, I, no, I'm actually curious. I'm actually curious okay. because how this is so bad. The Jimmy Rogers first season. Okay. The first season Jimmy I Rogers, covered. Whatever. Do one post-internet area. <laughs> well, I don't know what post-internet era is. I don't either. Not Jimmy Rogers. 2000s. Um, so it's, we'll get ahead of 2004. So now we're into the Mike James era. Like, well, I mean, there was that period of time where watching an absolutely loyal top 30 all-time player mm-hmm. steadily ground down to the point where he's making ridiculous general manager-like decisions that are all turning out to be bullshit and worse and beginning to get testier, beginning to um, pretty much was one of the instrumental people in getting a very good coach fired in Dwayne Casey. Um, This is after like a nine year run of playoff teams. Right. So that's Um, like 05, 06, 07. Yeah, right around in there. Um, you know, the years with the, the Casey Whitman time, uh, that was, uh, you know, yeah, they won a few more games, but it didn't feel like it after you're used to 50 wins a season. Plus, they were bad individuals. I mean, Randy Whitman was not a nice guy. Randy Whitman was a, a jerk. He's a jerk. Hmm. Um, and so he would get angry. I mean, he literally, I think at one time, literally compared me to like a blogger in my mother's basement or something. And that's when I knew, I mean, I asked him a question that was a perfectly fine basketball question that um, he just didn't want to answer. It was incriminating of him to answer. And so he, therefore, he he lost patience. And he would also be one of these guys that um, he was a great stomper and yeller on the sidelines, theoretically, at the general tenor of the situation. But it's funny, it always happened after a player made an error that may or may not have been unforced, may or may not have been something that everybody in the arena knew, you know, was an error, it was forgivable. Anyway, Randy Whitman was never in my pantheon of uh, top two million human beings. Um, (laughs) And so uh, there was those seasons, there was the KCKG ground down but if you're talking about just badness you know you can go right to you know rambus con flynn uh i mean that was a golden triangle uh i guess i guess what i would just push back on if i'm making the argument of this is really bad is that the kg 
ones are better solely on the purpose that KG is the best player on those teams and Nas Reed is the best player on these teams. But a reminder that you have embittered the face of yeah. the franchise. I mean, it wasn't fun to watch Kevin Garnett anymore because Kevin Garnett was yeah. this great decade-long warrior for all that was noble and good in your franchise who constantly was getting shit upon because he wasn't hitting the game-winning shot in every single playoff loss that they sure. had. He wasn't playing hero ball. The one time he does have to play hero ball in the deciding game seven against Sacramento, he gets like 38 points out of the 88 the team scored or something. <laughs> I mean, you know, and so, and then you see this guy uh, first, Tension between McHale and Flip, you know, ground that in. That used to be a friendship and a real unified front office. And they began to really uh, not like each other for various reasons. Mm -hmm. And the locker room was weird. Casey, you know, it was his first head coaching job. And, you know, given his sordid history, uh, only partly of his doing with that Kentucky thing, that weird scandal or whatever, he didn't know if he's ever going to get another job. Um, so he was walking on eggshells sometimes just a really great guy. And the whole thing just was bad juju. You know, it just was not a good right. season. So, well, and it doesn't feel, you're right. It doesn't, it doesn't totally, it doesn't feel like bad juju right, right now. Like right. I, I I'm with you there. But I there guess. are storm clouds. Yeah. There's, there's some juju problems coming, I think, but, I guess what, what I will say is I don't mind watching and covering a bad team. Right. I, I don't. I actually. Obviously. I, I mean, you know. I, yeah. <laughs> right. I, I mean, I, I do find it interesting in the like quote unquote scouting process of this to, you know, to try and, and find things that you think might work or might not work and, you know, dig into them. But whatever. I, I, I like all that stuff. I think what is making this really tough is that is that given the the construction of the roster and style of play that they're playing this these guys or the, that process of scouting is is really watered down by the fact that it is a more likely than not outcome every game that there will half of this game will be garbage time and and that i think really obviously for the fans detracts any interest in watching and for me i mean i'm i'm sick of sitting here in the in the second half of the game i mean or or just like the whole fourth quarter of the the second warriors game i'm like what the fuck is this right you know there's just i'm trying to cover your team and and provide analysis of a shitty team and i want to do that but there is nothing happening here in the fourth quarter you're down by 20 you're not running anything all everything is just wasted it's just it's just wasted and i don't know i i don't have trouble i don't have any problem covering losses i have a problem covering uncompetitiveness and and i just think we're at a, a ridiculous point of accepting uncompetitiveness and i i, I think i don't know i i, I <laughs> I don't think it's going to kill Anthony Edwards' development or any of these other guys' development or Josh Okogie's development to just play 
eight guys and play them in the roles that most contribute to winning. Right. Like, you don't have 10 NBA players on your team right now every night. Stop. Just stop it. Okay, and, but let me let me push back on a couple of things. Okay, because I'm getting worked up. Well, also, I mean, I agree with most of what you're saying, but I do I see a good place for devil's advocacy here. Um, one is we wouldn't know about McDaniel's under that scenario. You know, I'm I am plenty willing to have sacrificed that. <laughs> yeah, but That's I mean, fine. But He's under contract for four years. They wouldn't. You know, I mean, they need to know, find man. out these things. And so okay, there's that. I hear you. I hear you. The, the second thing is, um, unfortunately, the, the, the most frustrating part of this season for me is that I can't put this team on full blast because we are still in a dreadful limbo. We don't know whether or not once all the pieces are aligned, where does it, I mean, I think it balances out to somewhere between an 11th and a 13th seed as constructed and planned for. That was what I thought coming into the season is that this team would be not even making the play in if everything was panned out and we weren't in this dreadful limbo. If we had Cat, if we had D'Lo, if we had Rubio playing relative Rubio stuff, uh, all these things um, that – were reasonably expected who expected cat to uh you know who had the fractured wrist covid combo on their bingo card you know (laughs) and so uh i think it remains um i am waiting on the final verdict of what this season should be to see um, and, and I won't take the excuse of, oh, well, it's already a lost season, so they're not doing it now. No, this this will be a proving ground. This will be the time once you get a healthy cat and a healthy D-Lo and maybe, you know, the time off has given you a chance to think about there's like five power forward options on the team now, which is both a sign of how bad it is and a sign of that, you know, you you, you could tinker a little bit and, you know around the margins. Um, but there can be a, a way to make a determination. The thing that frustrates me the most right now is Rosas is losing credibility, but I don't want to be unfair to him. He still does not have his vision in action. Yes, sure. he he has stubbornly kept to his vision in the face of ridiculous contrafacts, um, but he could still, at the end of the day, you know, he's got enough scraps. The development of Nas, J-Mac, Noel, you mentioned even. I mean, McDaniels, he, he seems to be remarkably good at at high-value, uh, low-cost guys. But, and, but, but can, can I add one thing, too? Sure. Because I, we're not going to do this today, but I, I was going to bring it up. It's just kind of like do the whole cat and bead thing. Yeah. And just how that really there's been a, a separation there. So when I was doing that, I just kind of went through and was going through all of like cats, not only just counting stats over time, but but like the tracking data and and where, you know, why cat became 
the, his best version of himself last year. Mm-hmm. And and I, I don't think it's something that I've fairly given credit to Rosas or Ryan for over the time is that they really started using Cat a lot better last season. Mm-hmm. And and I was going back, and, and Cat's two best years are the 2017-18 year under Tibbs when they made the playoffs, the Jimmy year, and and then and then last season. And and if it's not only like st- statistically in terms of his frequency of where he's positioned up top running, you know, those delay actions right, right. versus in, in other years where they would kind of like isolate elbow, the elbow right, extended. Right, right. Yeah. And I mean, maybe maybe we don't need to say that that, that would took calculus for, for Rosas and Saunders to figure out. But what they have done is they know how to use cat in the, in the best way that any coach has ever used him. They, they have, they have shown that. Right. And, um, Except that, this year. <laughs> well, it's been, I mean, four games. I know, but too much low block. That's, we don't have the time. You're right. Well, Go ahead. And, and, and the wrist and everything. So, yeah, yeah. so I actually left even the, the numbers blank no, on, I don't on this, I don't on this year for right, Cat. Right, But But it, it was really I, – when I was, I was doing that last night, I was thinking, I was like, I want to bring this up to Britt because um, you're not listening to my podcast, but I'm increasingly growing my bashing of uh, – <laughs> of, of what's playing out here. And, and I always just want to be, I always want to be fair, or maybe even intentional I agree. Yeah. about, about highlighting, you know, positives when I am also being honest the negatives. and listening to both sides is the only way you can defend yourself down the line. I mean, you know, well, what's stupid is we can't listen to both sides because they don't talk. Well, you yeah, know? but I, I mean, again, no, I'm you, serious. You, like they, they don't, they don't acquit themselves. Yes. So, so, but, so then I'm sitting here and I have to do both. And believe me, there is nothing wrong with that. I, you have been. I mean, you you approach things more as a reporter than a columnist, and I think that there's great merit in that. And in, in many respects, it gives you a really solider foundation for what you want to say. But I do think um, one of the values of people talking about the team is, for better or worse. I think outside the box because it's the only box I live in. I mean, this is, uh, you know, I have my own box, you know, I mean, my box is probably outside their box, but it's the one I'm most comfortable inhabiting. I mean, I will say what strikes me one way or the other. And yeah, I mean, it's good to get feedback and to talk to people and everything like that. But at the end of the day, some of it is spin. Some of it is their own self delusion. And some of it is, um, hope, you know, wishful thinking, um, which is a little bit different than delusion. And so um, I am, there are, there are enough people, you know, I'll go to, you know, John Krasinski, Chris Hine, Jace Frederick. If I want to get the quotes, I'll get the quotes. At the end of the day, the value addedness and, and you even more so because you know, the salary cap and the X's and O's, you can bring theories to the table that don't need to be verified. You know, uh, you could be wrong, but they're not going to be fanciful. They're not going to be, you're not pulling them out of your ass. Um, so I would just say that don't complain or be frustrated by the idea that um, they don't talk to you. It just opens. No, another, well, I mean, it opens. I another don't, door. They, I don't that say they don't talk. Well, you know what they I mean. Do you, talk you, to, yeah. They they are not. They have a whole media strategy that is very 
tight-lipped. I'm yes. talking about talking to the fans. I like, I mean, we do have to go soon. I've got to take my son yeah. to work. But I will say that um, this whole what is the, this whole Delo thing has been handled in in typically weird fashion. I mean, I don't get it, man. If you yeah. don't understand why the optics of this, it could be totally innocent, but to play it all with such a determined straight face, it makes it look even more fishy, quite frankly. I mean, just acknowledge the fact the story du jour was Dilo Wiggins principles in a big 30 million for 30 million trade coming together for the first time. And a guy who sat out for rest and took a game of, I mean, a day of practice in full practice mode sits out both of them while, you know, Nas Reed bashes his wrist and leaves the locker room and everybody's thinking he's going to be dead. He comes in, well, you know, just basketball and, you know, I'm going to be <laughs> fine now. Uh, you know, I mean, the optics aren't great. Just acknowledge that. Just say, you know, look, the whole thing with D'Lo rest a long time ago. This, this thing was planned for, you know, he had the contusion. Uh, it's pretty ugly. It's got this, but just, but th this is the thing is some of that stuff ends up trickling out like days later right. when pressed, but they try and initially hide it. And right. that's what I'm going to is go back to with the fan base is they are attuned to this. They right. are attuned right. to this. You have, right. you have such a dejected whittled down bunch that they're the type of people who have their push notifications set for the Timberwolves injury report exactly. and are, 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 are getting that stuff. I mean, it's, well, I mean, there's only he, there's he, only seventeen thousand people watching per game on FSN. Do you know that? No, seventeen thousand. That's yeah. what the rating is. Okay, that's an well, insanely low amount. That's of almost a Target Center sellout. <laughs> that's almost as many people as are listening to this podcast right now. That's an wow. insanely low amount of people who are watching watching this team, and right. and I just think it's what it's this little it's this little spark left in the fire pit. Right. Well, here's like, what let's, I would let's say. throw some leaves on it. Don't stomp on it, man. Here's what I would say. If you expect people to gobble up your post-bubble, preseason, 30-second Instagrams of guys who haven't played in eight months shooting layups over each other and expecting us to read some damn tea leaves over that, don't be surprised if the guy you've basically traded mm -hmm. move mountains for to make your one B star mysteriously resting, sitting out while the guy who's his weird passive aggressive rival for the position <laughs> is maybe playing great one day and back to playing shitty the next day. And, uh, it's a drama. And if you don't understand that you expect people to get excited about your incredibly obscure preseason footage, then you better damn well be ready for them to be paying attention when some weird, unexplained conflict, and maybe it's all just coincidence, but maybe it's not. And it certainly leads people to wonder aloud and there are ways to approach the issue that 
that throw water on that kind of perhaps unhealthy speculation is all I'm saying. It, that that is the most frustrating point of the season for me. I'll I'll watch Jaden McDaniels and Nas Reed and all that all day. And and you know and some of this stuff is is the whole FSN Sinclair crap. And yeah. All you know all of that, but it's uh, yeah, man, it's all just it's all just shaping up to be a, a worse cocktail than it has to be. Um, On that I'll note. let you go. Yeah. <laughs> thank you, thank you for doing it. Um, hey, my pleasure. We, I, somehow we find a way to talk more about this team when it's shitty than when it's functioning properly. But uh, we will we'll do it again maybe next week. You said you're writing a column on Monday. Uh, I think it's going to be out on Tuesday. Okay. It's uh, the the new uh, you know I think that, that John will do the the game his classic gamer slash column off uh, probably the couple of uh, Cav games and we'll mm-hmm. we'll take it from there. But I mean, mine's more obviously larger picture. So perfect. All right, Britt. Well, thank you for doing this. Um, I will talk to you soon. You guys can all follow, follow Britt on Twitter at Britt Robson. Until next time, I'm Dane at Dane Moore NBA. Peace out. How I'm feeling, man. I hope it never stops, yeah.